Hello and welcome to season three, episode 17 of Dualistic Unity. I am uncertainty, freedom, and change. All happening here and now because they're all the same thing. And I am not the person that started this podcast. I'm not even the person that started talking two seconds ago because we're always changing. We are what we are in the moment. We are the experience. We are not necessarily the form that that experience seems to be having. So all of that said, we have a few announcements and a very exciting guest for one of these last episodes of season three. The first announcement, of course, is that the retreat is still coming up. We have three places left. We did want to mention quickly, if you happen to be in British Columbia near Vancouver Island, we consider you to be a local. There is a discount available for anybody who is local who won't necessarily need to take the bus with us from Nanaimo Airport on the 12th or the bus back with us on the 20th. So if you are a local and you would like to discuss that discount, just get in touch with us at dualisticunity.com in the contact section and we'll be happy to help you out. The second announcement is that we still have a contest for your favorite dualistic unity quote. If you have a favorite quote from any episode over the last three seasons, just go to the website, go to the contact form, enter the details, the quote and the episode it's from, and you will have a chance to win some dualistic unity merch at the end of November. Coming at the end of October, we're going to put all the quotes up for a vote in the community and whoever wins is going to get a Dualistic Unity t-shirt and some hoodies and tote bag and a bunch of other stuff. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's very easy to win. All you have to do is go to the website. And that's it for the announcements today. Now we can get on to the good stuff, which I'm very excited about. Today's guest is Sean Webb. Sean was introduced to us by a community member. He is a TikTok creator, an author, a podcast host, just an all-around nice guy from what I can tell. He is the author of Volume 1 and Volume 2 of Mind Hacking Happiness. You can find them. I believe they are also an audiobook. Is that correct, Sean? That is correct. Awesome. So you can find those online. Um, he is also a TikTok creator with over 1 million followers, well-deserved, and his YouTube channel grows by the day. So if you haven't heard of Sean, you're definitely going to want to go and check out his content after this episode. Sean, it's so nice to have you join us. If you could just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, as I said earlier, there's a lot and it's all very interesting, but if you could just give us a Cole's notes on the epic journey that you've been on and why you continue along it. Sure. So I would consider myself, I guess, a mind researcher. Um, I ran into after a, a foray into being a, an executive in corporate America, I figured out that I had all the things that the American dream told me that I was supposed to have to be able to eke out some happiness and some satisfaction. And immediately I had identified after I had all those things, you know, this amazing house and this double lot in Atlanta and high paying job, amazing girlfriend, awesome friends who were coming over. And in fact, I was waiting for the, the delivery guys of the entertainment system that I was installing into that house, et cetera. And then I was like, okay, so what's next? Like, let me think about putting a gazebo out in this other portion of this lot and wiring it up for sound. And I was like, wait a second, hold on. And I did an analysis and I wound up saying, thinking to myself, okay, so if I'm still looking for other things to try to make myself happy, then obviously I'm not happy. And so I started to dig into world religions. I started to do a lot of reading. I started to do a lot of introspection. I did read a book about um, D.T. Suzuki's introduction to Zen, which I discovered this thing called meditation that they did that was a practice and that they had resulted in or the, the 
I guess their goal, the attachment that they formed in the human mind that I would speak of in, in my context today was that they wanted to attain enlightenment. And I didn't know what enlightenment was. I had no idea, but it was, you know, I guess framed in a way of an instant understanding of the entire universe and everything in it and your place within it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I did understand from DT's explanation that you're supposed to get your mind into a state of non-thinking. And so I started focusing my meditation on getting into a state of no thinking. And I started with that particular day, a focus on a little Zen mondo that started out when Yeshan, uh, the monk asked Master Yeshan, okay, what, what, how does one sit and what does one do while sitting? And Yeshan said, well, you, you sit and you think of not thinking. Well, how does one think of not thinking? And he said, by not thinking. And of course, the circular logic, as all Zen uh, koans are, because it's designed to lead you into a place where you need to realize that thinking doesn't get you to the reality. It doesn't get you to the truth. You can't write, read a book and figure out enlightenment. You can't find this piece of information that's finally the aha moment that leads you into an understanding and an equanimity that um, all these masters who you would picture sitting on the top of the mountaintop for 20 years find, and then are able to speak from a, a large uh, depth of wisdom. And so I forced myself, I used the 800 pound gorilla of my mind because I was, you know, smart dude and always active in mind. Uh, I knew allowing that to try to come to a piece, which I understand is a thing with uh, Vipassana meditation, where you just kind of you know, focus on one thing and you allow the other things to fall away, et cetera. Uh, that wasn't going to work for me. So I took the 800 pound gorilla of my mind and used it against the 800 pound gorilla of my mind and forcefully went into a spot of not thinking and found the one time in my life or the first time in my life anyway um multiple after that but first time in my life where there was no activity of mind anymore and what i later discovered was you know when you have a certain pattern of brain waves that are regular for you when you can get those to subside and change then different patterns can arise and different communication structures can start to talk to each other etc and then different um Chemicals can be released within the mind to catalyze different forms of consciousness. And at that point, I went through the, I guess, garden variety enlightenment experience, uh, quote unquote. But when you start to put words to these things, of course, you start racing away from truth at light speed. So take absolutely everything that I say from the time that I started speaking through the rest of all time with a grain of salt, because all of this is, you know, lies right basically accidental lies uh you know the, i love the, the zen sayings that say you know the master says uh you know it's a the life of a master is one mistake after another basically because he's making noise about enlightenment um so anyway i went through this this consciousness expansion process that i explained in the second book the blue book of mind hacking happiness the volume two which takes the left turn and goes you know where the floor drops out and you go down into infinity um, I explained that whole process and how it seemed like it was, you know, millions of years long. And I thought I was dead. I thought I'd gone off into the middle of the universe, et cetera. And I did understand all existence in the universe, at least seemingly from my consciousness. It, it, I get that feeling that I understand absolutely. I think I understand all the multiple dimensions. I understand how they fit together. I understand how consciousness plays into the, the picture, et cetera. And, um, 
you know, there's a whole huge long chapter about that experience. If you're interested in, in taking a peek at that, you can. But again, take that with a grain of salt. Don't believe any of that. And um, as I was coming back, I started to lose all the information. And there was, you know, because basically I got the, the idea or the communication that, oh, hey, you're going back. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, well, I guess it's time to go back and be a new human baby. And uh, no, what was really surprising to me was that I was going back to my body after, you know, millions of years of experience, um, passing through multiple lifetimes and understanding everybody's pain and suffering and yada, yada, yada. And I started to lose all that. And I was like, wait, I don't want to lose all this stuff. Like this could be a great value to humanity. So let me, let me grab and take something back. And they were like, all right, fine. Or this, this, I guess, guide or entity or whatever it was, this consciousness, this consciousness that was separate because I went through a portion of consciousness where I was not separate and it was the whole thing. And I got to control the whole thing. And there was nothing to do because everything was perfect and you didn't need to touch a thing. Just watch and experience and be the whole thing. And then um, as I was coming back, when I was you know, zooming back from the hole into the line of demarcation that it creates your consciousness separate from other things that you could I then identify, the uh, whatever it was that was with me was like, all right, what do you want to what do you want to see? And I was like, well, I want to get this pain and suffering thing knocked out. So I want to understand pain and suffering for the human race so that at least we can get maybe get by that and move on into whatever's next and, and there was a little bit of a I guess, almost a feeling of a laugh and it's like yeah you aren't the first and uh i was like oh, okay well there's humor that's nice to see after you know separate from human consciousness but anyway i went through the the notes on what causes pain and suffering in the human mind and was able to retain enough of that then uh, that i came back and wrote after a couple of failing attempts, the Mind Hacking Happiness books, which now I guess are being lauded. I mean, I've got, you know, multiple US Navy SEALs are saying it's the best emotions management tool that they've ever experienced. And they've seen the best thing that the Department of Defense had to provide to help them keep those guys sane and operating and even kilter, et cetera. Um, a lot of uh, definitions and modeling of human emotions that have never been put forward before, as confirmed by a couple of research folks at MIT who are world leading experts have confirmed it's brand new. And, um, and so I didn't come at it from a scientific standpoint, I came at it from a here's what I experienced on the way back from enlightenment standpoint, and here's how it works. And here's the system that you can put together, etc. And put it out. And now it's, if you read the reviews online, which are getting 4.8, 4.9 out of five stars, uh, everybody's like, Oh, my God, this is world changing stuff. And it really is only because I put the model out before all of the science came along that proved all the individual pieces of the model were correct. And then from there, I accidentally learned when you learn about your internal states and the variables that come to be to create your negativity and your reactivity and your uh, human emotions that become vexing difficulties for that standing your way for consciousness expansion. There's a, a really cool hot wiring effect in the physiological reactions of your brain and your nervous system that will literally turn your negativity down. Um, it's the right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex and the medial prefrontal cortex that will downregulate your limbic system and amygdala in real time, which are the centers of your negative emotions, et cetera, your, your pain, your suffering, your fear, your sadness, your worry, regret, um, <clears throat> anger, and all the variations on a the theme there. 
Well, there's a literally a way you can turn that down by understanding your emotions in a way that I explain in the red book. And so it's changing people's lives because now it's rather than be that that emotional reaction that grabs you and controls you and is you seemingly in that moment of sadness or anger or uh, fear or whatever it is, that puts a thick black curtain between your awareness and your emotional response. And then there's a little subconscious notice in your mind that says, wait a second, I thought I was this mind a second ago, and now I can see this mind. And so now there's a, an expansion of self experience that occurs kind of on the order of an expansion experience, but it's, it's one that's cognitively um, initiated. It's one where you say, wait a second, I was this mind a second ago, but now I am this mind and the awareness of the mind to be able to watch the mind. So now I'm expanding out a little bit. And where, let's say if your sense of self was a little mud puddle and you got a life problem rock that comes in and splashes into your mud puddle and uh, you know sinks maybe a couple of your boats that have been floating around, such as your job or your relationship or you know your grasp on life, whatever it is. Well, now your mud puddle is bigger and now it expands out into a pond. You throw that same life size problem rock in there and now you notice the ripples less and it doesn't sink your boats and then you expand it out even further you continue that practice to understand that you aren't you have a mind but you aren't your mind that you have emotions but you that you aren't your emotions all of a sudden your grasp on life becomes a heck of a lot more profound and solid and your life becomes a lot more manageable and a lot more even keel and uh, a greater joy to experience because then you can start to appreciate well everything's you know all the days are awesome which is cool and it's okay if i experience a little bit of anger or, or fear or resentment or sadness or whatever and then i don't let myself be controlled by that anymore and so let's find out now where we can go with that and so that's kind of been my my life for the last 20 some odd years helping people figure that out and trying to figure out a way to get it out there etc because you know frankly <clears throat> we've all been on this path and, and masters have been on this path and we've had teachers for thousands of years trying to get us to that point without saying, without spilling the beans and spilling a lot of words on enlightenment and trying to not talk about it because you're supposed to let the, the seeker find their own experience and get their own meaning from that. And so part of me is like, well, that's a problem because we haven't been effective on that path for the last 7,000 years. And um, we need to accelerate that because there's a lot more of us. And we have this amazing technology, communications technology that is now being afforded to us that we can get out to more people with, you know, my, sitting at my desk. I don't have to go out and get in front of a stadium to be in front of 10,000 people. Um, so I, I'm kind of breaking the rules to say, okay, let's have a discussion about enlightenment. Um, let's spill a bunch of words that I'm going to tell you to forget by the time I've, I'm done with them. But go out and, dis and find this for yourself. But let's talk about um, how to reduce all the pain and suffering through the cheap tricks of neuroscience that science is now uncovering for us so that you can get closer to that point of being able to expand your consciousness and experience it for yourself. And if I can be that person who can help you remove anger, fear, worry, regret, et cetera, through the cheap tricks of neuroscience of understanding your emotions and explaining those, okay, I'll be that guy. I'll play that role. And the problem that I'm finding with that is, you know, one, people don't want to listen, but that's fine. The seekers are going to be able to, to find the teacher. But the other side of that is I'm now finding resistance, organized resistance on 
the folks who like to have the control mechanisms of fear and anger and worry and regret and division, et cetera, that they use to divide and control populations, they don't like the fact that now there's actual science and proof and whatnot out there beyond the sit and meditate for hours until it happens message that can remove those control mechanisms of fear, anger, worry, regret, uh, et cetera, that they're now becoming very well-versed in using to control mass population. So a little bit of that's a little disappointing, but beside that, it's been an awesome ride and a lot of fun. I'm going to keep going. That is, that is awesome, dude. I have so many, so many questions for you. Holy <laughs> shit. I'm, I'm excited for this episode to say the least. Um, not to immediately dive super deep in here, but you mentioned consciousness a couple of times and, you know, expanding that idea of yourself, reducing that idea of yourself, like how localized that idea of yourself is leads to typically a little bit more suffering. It's easier to rock the boat. So I'm curious because you mentioned kind of like forcing your mind to quiet down and going through that experience for myself. A lot of it has to do like, since my mind used to be, you know, total chatterbox and now it's significantly quieter and it's been through letting go more and more of the idea of myself as something so solid and so certain all the time that's kind of allowed me to experience a quieter mind because without so much idea of self, I feel like there's less for our mind to cling onto and grasp onto. So I'm curious when it comes to consciousness, like sort of a two-part question, do you think consciousness is something that we are or something that we have? And if it is something that we are, is there less idea of self that goes along with that? And if so, I'm curious about your relationship with the idea of yourself and, and Sean and how has that gotten more malleable or less malleable? Or has that, has there been a way for you to sort of like see that in a different light that is, has allowed you to see things a little bit differently? I'm curious about that relationship and then consciousness and, and your perspective on our relationship with it. Yeah. So the original question was, you know, are we consciousness or, or do we experience or do, or do we have consciousness? And I think the answer is both, right? Ironically, uh, let's, let's create some logic where you can answer both answers. Um, so I believe ultimately my understanding of consciousness from is, and I've started to do a lot of analysis from trying to you know, read more about quantum mechanics and the physics of how the universe works, et cetera, because I was able to experience the, how the universe came together. And so I understand the whole history of the lore of the you know, Zen masters or the enlightened people understanding how the universe worked, et cetera, from a complex systems perspective in that I see that Consciousness exists in the universe period as a non-local field that interacts with all the other fields and thus is also the mechanism for the collapse of the wave function. So that's how I kind of see the logic coming together of how consciousness creates in a, in a, in a unified, huge, all-knowing, all-wise consciousness, which you know, maybe people would like to call God or other words that they want to put in their subjective framing of that how that creates with an S um, present tense, the universe at every moment in that it collapses the wave functions into turning the math into matter and the probabilistic into the palpable, right? So there's that, 
But then there's the other side of that question, which is our experience of consciousness, which I think is completely subjective based on our physiology and the fact that we are kind of tuning into who and what we are. So I see, you know, when you when you ask whether we are consciousness or we have consciousness, it's kind of both because, you know, we are a conscious entity within the field itself. It's a unified field. So with the whole thing is all one thing and non-divisible. But then again, on the other side of that, there are, there are there is data inside the field, just like the electron field is all one thing for the whole universe, but there's locality, there's information at a locality level that helps them decide what electrons are doing with electromagnetism and um, how electrons are being shunted around a local uh, IC chip, right? Uh, integrated circuit uh, and making electronics run here on the planet, right? There's a non-local field that's one thing throughout the entire universe, but then there's a, there's a local representation and a local activity of that field based on what's going on with the other fields and interactions in physics, et cetera. I kind of see the consciousness as the same thing in that there's one thing in the entire universe that is all one in separate deal, which is consciousness. But from there, there's local data structures and local data patterns that interact thanks to the different forces that are going on, et cetera. And that becomes our, our experience of our consciousness from a beyond the body experience and also the consciousness within our body experience. So I believe that there's a, from my perspective, and of course this is totally bullshit and, and total subjectivity in my answer to uh, an answer to a question that we may not have an answer to ever, However, I kind of see it as, you know, there's the one whole thing, but then there's the local data patterns and the local data patterns can be our experience of um, the consciousness that exists throughout the universe and is all one thing and it's connected to the whole thing. So if we want to, we can certainly go up and through and be the whole thing. Yet at the same time, we also can zoom back down our awareness. We can take our awareness and zoom back down into the oh, well, this is Sean from a, through his physiology and the limitations of his physiology and the limitations of what his gray matter can process and uh, the line of demarcation that allows us to exist here on the planet um, that separates us from the infinity so that we can have time to do the processing to lift the sandwich to our mouth and you know, take a drink of water and satisfy our physiolog physiological needs. There's the expression of consciousness and our, our experience of consciousness that's limited by the physiology. And then there's the, the local data ish that we're, that is, you know, our consciousness then feeds our memories up into the field to our conscious existence in the field, which is more of a local uh, uh, expression of the whole thing of the whole non-local thing. So yes, yes. And yes, right. We have the one non separate thing which we are a part of and thus we are the whole thing and we're the local data experience of that consciousness existence and we're then the conscious experience that our physiology is tuning into which i'm kind of a fan of the orco r methodology of explaining consciousness within the human existence and also other cells where um uh Sir Roger Penrose, who won a Nobel, and uh, Stuart Hameroff, who is a anesthesiologist who hosts the Science of Consciousness conference every couple of years, 
they came up with a theory that consciousness is tuned into from our physiology through the microtubules of the cells in our body and microtubules are absolutely everywhere all organic materials have them all of our the walls of our neurons where the most important portion of consciousness is uh can be somewhat measured uh that's what the walls of the neurons are made up of is microtubules all the active ingredients in a cell itself are made up of microtubules and so it would kind of make sense that if we're tuning into consciousness and then becomes the mechanism within the cell like you talk about carl friston's free energy principle where you know you can take it down to a cell where you've got the activity outside of a cell you've got the membrane of the cell you've got an, an intelligence inside the cell and then action inside the cell that results from it reading outside the cell the information through the cell wall and then the inside the cell stuff occurs what's the mechanism for that inside the cell stuff occurs what drives that what makes dumb organic molecules then uh, magically start to take action in a pro life fashion to maintain homeostasis within the cell etc what's the mechanism what's the intelligence that you're talking about because you got two cells from a you know before you were born you got two cells that come together and then create your entire body from what intelligence right well they theorize you know the, the materialist reductionists would love to say oh it's all held in dna Okay, well, talk to me about the intelligence that then reads that DNA and creates the action to then become all of this 4 trillion cells within your body that then become your physiological uh, experience. No one has an answer to that question, by the way. No one. No one in, in science has been able to come up with an answer to say, this is the mechanism that makes all that thing occur. And so what I think is, you know, obviously within the non-local field of consciousness is where you have to have all the intelligence in the universe stored to be able to basically tell how all the other fields interact with each other, because you can have all this stuff, but if it's in chaos, it's not going to come into an organized fashion. And then from there, um, when you're separate from time, my definition of wisdom is intelligence tempered over time. And if you don't have a limitation on time, the, at the immediate point that you have intelligent uh, infinite intelligence, you also have infinite wisdom, which is the thing that we wind up experiencing in these consciousness expansion experiences that we wind up coming back from. And then all of a sudden we're spilling all these major answers for humanity on stuff that people have been struggling with for, you know, thousands, potentially millions of years. And, uh, and then, you know, the, we just want to overlook that. We just want to overlook the, the potential source of that. You know, we, we have all these major discoveries of, of uh, uh, Einstein. Einstein didn't mathematize his whole uh, relativity thing together. He used the Gnanken experiments, right? He used visualization within his own mind to come up with the ideas that then became the math proved stuff. E equals MC squared. That started with a vision in his head, as did all the Tesla stuff, as did a lot of the things from a lot of other folks. I mean, Kerry Mullis uh, completely credits his nobel prize to an lsd experience and the rumor is francis crick who discovered dna who drew dna as a double helix on a napkin bar napkin before they discovered that that's exactly the shape that it that it, it exhibits is rumored also to have gotten that drawing from an lsd experience although he said he would deny it because then back then you know that was taboo to have those discussions in science uh but uh that was back during the time where you know doors of perception was being published and um you know lsd wasn't yet uh illegalized etc 
uh, you have all of these amazing discoveries that are coming to us that are defining science and our existence coming from these experiences of consciousness. And then we just kind of wipe over the fact that, you know, oh, well, that came from our imagination or our creativity or whatever. What's the source of that? Right. So that's kind of how I see consciousness from an overarching 50,000 foot view is that it is the reason that everything comes together into being. Um, we do have localized expressions of it and, and experiences of it that could be, you know, who we are beyond our bodies and that we go into multiple life experiences through grabbing onto multiple physiologies, who knows? Um, and then we have our own physiological expression of that in our personal life experience, et cetera, that does not then quit when our body quits. So all that makes sense. And, and as a last little note, I think maybe that might be the linchpin of having a number of fields that are supposedly infinite. And yet you have this universe, the 3D universe, that doesn't necessarily have to be infinite. It's only going to collapse the subset of wave functions within those fields. Because in an infinite 3D universe, you would have to have an infinite amount of energy. And anytime you put an infinity signal in any one of your equations, all the scientists will say, well, you broke it. We can't do the math anymore. It doesn't work. Go back to draw, you know, square one, right? So imagine now in a world of you know, video games or simulation or whatever, you have this occlusion calling where they limit, they build this whole big world, but they only limit the amount of polygons that they render based on what the player is actually looking at, which is kind of how quantum mechanics works. And so wouldn't it be amazing to have an infinite set of fields but not infinite energy, but only needing the amount of energy that was required to render out the 3D space-time where people were actually paying attention, which is exactly how quantum mechanics works and every experiment in quantum mechanics proves. So I, you know, taking that to a, a level of absurdity, obviously on my own prognostication. Um, yeah, that's, that's my silly answer to that question. That is not a silly answer at all. I want to say from the start that I respect how careful you are about betraying the truth because as krishnamurti said you know the messenger is always a traitor and that's that's very much true because you can't describe something dualistically that is unifying it's yeah. very difficult to do that it's very difficult to describe what is with divisive concepts which yeah. is actually why our podcast is called dualistic unity it's the fact that everything's one but we have a dualistic experience of it in fact dualism is the root of our experience without that that illusion of division there's no experience. There's no me yeah. versus that, that which I observe. Well, the one thing that every bit of science in the universe needs is a difference in potential, meaning that there's going to be something different from where you are that you can then interact with from your perspective, from your position, or all the science doesn't work, right? Yeah, nothing works, period. There's nothing to, to do. Like, there's no me separate from you. There, there's no duality whatsoever, unless you have that, that comparison engine, which is, which is what we call our brain, right? But right. what I appreciate from your perspective, because I understand that you're like, I kind of went into a silly answer there, but I consider myself absolutely crazy. Like, I look at things from the almost purely subjective. You're describing the physical universe. To me, we're living in a dream of our universal awareness that the deeper you look into the details of the dream, the more details you're going to see. The farther yeah. you look into the universe, the more universe you're going to find because we, sure. we're the ones that keep creating it as we go. And I thought that the recent uh, Nobel Prize for Physics was really interesting in terms of quantum entanglement because they were talking about how it's not information that's passing from uh, one place to another. 
It's instant. Right. There's no transfer of information in the same way that our awareness and our physical reality isn't transferring information. They're instant. They're entangled, right? One is the other. It's just that we experience it as being different. So I find it really, really interesting. Um, I was wondering, have you ever run across a paper by a guy named uh, J.K. Grandy, uh, Neurogenetics and Human Consciousness? No, I haven't. And by the way, John, so put, put in that for a second. I just want to comment. John Clauser bought me multiple beers one night at the Berkeley Yacht Club where he has two uh, sailboats and we discussed uh, all kinds of cool stuff. I have it on, on, I'm looking at the file right now that I have that four hour conversation recorded. I'm going through it right now. I'm like, oh, he won the Nobel Prize. Maybe I should listen to that thing again. Um, yeah, he's, uh, I agree. And if you want to experience how um, entanglement can occur, get yourself into a consciousness expansion experience to, to be able to just launch yourself out in the middle of the universe. And you'll see on, in, like you said, in one dimension, in one way of looking at that phenomena, there is no separation. It's one thing. And it's our illusion that we're seeing this 3D space-time thing, that there's a separation in 3D space-time of the two particles that can then be considered uh, entangled. It's not, it's just, a, it's just a different representation in two different places in 3D space-time of the same one thing, you're right, on that. So back to the, uh, the back of the paper, which I'm not familiar with, by the way. So please expand on that. It's an interesting paper. Basically, he was making the point that DNA shows evidence of awareness. It's aware of itself. It's aware of its reality, and it's aware of what it needs to do to to adapt to its reality. And it's, oh, it's yeah, an interesting it. paper, and and it goes back to what you were saying. It's just another reflection of our awareness. But I wanted to get into something because I know in one of your videos you had described a disease of the mind, and we're talking about this perceived separation between the observed and the observer. And I think it's exacerbated by this disease of the mind, by what Andrew was referring to as, as our identity, as our self-image, because it's not just that we perceive a difference. Now we're taking ownership. Now we're creating a narrative of that difference of exactly how separate we are from everything and all the justification for all of that. Um, would you say, and I want to get a little bit more into uh, your equations of emotions and things like that, but would you say that in just addressing the disease of the mind, because you were saying earlier that we can't describe consciousness or we can't describe enlightenment, sorry. And that's very true. We can't describe enlightenment because there is no enlightenment, but we can describe conflict. We can describe confusion. Or, or there was a great book uh, called Ishmael where he said, I can't teach you about freedom, but I can teach you about captivity. And in yes. doing that, you can have an insight about freedom. And I would say that's exactly what you're, you're attempting to do in, in your descriptions. You're trying to say like, look, there are mechanisms that work against us that are making it more and more difficult to see what is clearly. And if we weren't so absorbed in these illusions, if we weren't so absorbed in this teeter-totter that we're not aware is happening, right? We would actually be able to see the full field of, of vision. We would actually be able to see what is happening around us and immediately our intelligence would come into play. Is that a good summary, would you say? That's exactly right. Excellent. I don't want to add any more words. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So here's my next question, because this is, again, because I'm on the opposite side in terms of being more towards the subjectivity. Would you say that we have just as likely a chance of cracking that barrier, cracking that, that division with our mind through technology as we do through just subjective awareness? Would you say that our, our subjective awareness, which is the awareness of the universe, could break all bounds, has the possibility of actually making this reality more dreamlike, of breaking those barriers of what we call physics? That's a really good question. Um, because then that brings into question, you know, 
what is our experience of consciousness through our physiology and where does that awareness go when it goes boundless is that being limited by our physiology in that moment or does our physiology have the capability of um delivering that experience simply by reaching out through you know what could be the non-local field into the infinite um and i think just as a hunch um i think maybe our experience of consciousness does you know potentially leave the body limitation behind to be able to because i i had an experience of going out and understanding everything and experiencing you know tons of millions of lives and yada 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 and being able to tap into the whole thing and um the understanding of pain and suffering etc and then was only be able to was only able to unpack a portion of that when i came back and was limited by my physiological uh, gray matter and white matter capabilities right so there's a limitation of like the things that i understood i wouldn't be able to explain it from a 3d space-time perspective in this body and in this existence so then the question becomes is there a like a technological bump um with the ability to you know use your awareness as that catalyst is there a way to maybe have a different type of catalyst so then the question becomes okay so is there um some type of technology or other way to bump you into that space and then are you on the technology influence at that point bumping your consciousness into that expanded space or does that is that simply the catalyst of the same thing occurring from taking your awareness and then you accidentally stumbling into infinity right so um that's a great question i don't know the answer to that question i would think that you know ultimately it doesn't really matter i mean it's like it's like having the argument well do you think Christianity's better to get to to get to infinity, or do you think Taoism is better to get to infinity? And it's like, well, what the fuck does it matter, right? Sorry for cursing, but um, at the point you're going to the same location, right? So what's it matter which map you use, as long as both of them are reasonably accurate to be able to lead you from where you are to where you want to wind up, and then when you when you wind up there, you experience what it is that you're location has brought you to it's not about the thing on the map it's not about getting to the point b uh that you know you wind up wiping out of your uh understanding and existence at that point your experience of what you're um having what you're experiencing sorry multiplexing on that word um that's the that's what the whole thing's about right leading you to that mountaintop where you can see that amazing sunset the amazing sunset and your experience of it is the thing right? That's the reason that you do all the work to climb the path that's, you know, you got to cut through or whatever it is that the one path, the one map might lead you from one direction and another map might need another person to, to from another direction up to the same point where you can both experience the same exact thing. I'm not sure. Um, I would love to have more maps, certainly, because I think some of the maps are misleading and can lead people astray and um, tell you they're going to the same place and then take you to some like totally different uh but but you know i don't know is probably the best answer to that question but i'm super interested to find out right? i just want to say that that's a great answer in general i think i think my only concern in regards to technology is that however we get to the top of the mountain is great but then if we build a gondola and so now people aren't necessarily doing the work to get to that mountain top they're not necessarily you know 
going through the process. I'll give you an example. Um, I had a friend years ago who uh, figured out or he discovered Dan Winter. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dan Winter, but he's done a lot of work in terms of, of fractals and, and heartbeat and, and biofeedback, stuff like that. And so he, he bought this thing called the Bliss Tuner, which is basically just a glorified biofeedback machine. And he's like, I'm going to use this until I become enlightened. I'm going to use this to get past all of my stuff and basically just raise my awareness. And I cackled to myself. I'm like, this isn't going to be pretty. Like once you're done, you're going to come back down. Like you're going to end up back in your shit. That's how this goes. You're just going to end up with a few more tools. And sure, right. that's what happened. That's exactly what happened is he used the technology. It got into this ultra high state that he didn't have the wherewithal or the wisdom or experience to maintain. Yeah. And he crashed and he crashed hard and ended up in depression for like the next two months as a result. And so I think that's my only concern in terms of technology is that it's kind of like the idea of superpowers. Oh, we could have superpowers. I've met a lot of people where I'm very glad they don't have the ability to have superpowers. Like I've walked yeah. down a street at night, afraid of nothing that, that of nothing that was real, and thought to myself, "I'm really glad I can't create that out of nothing." Because right. I should, if I did, I'd be walking through a nightmare because I don't have that control. I don't have that clarity, right? And so I think that's my only concern. Like with Elon Musk's uh, chip that goes in the brain, things like that, the ability to just kind of advance yourself through this accelerator pad it discounts wisdom and experience. Like you were saying that when you had your moment of experience, when you had your clarity, you came back down and all you could do was distill it down to the most basic elements you could because of your physiology. I would say that is probably because of the resistance that was still entrapped in that physiology. I think if you were to have that experience now, you'd come back with a whole new toolbox, which is what you've been unpacking little by little ever since. Right. So yeah. I don't know if if the limitations on our physiology or our perspective of that physiology, maybe, or, or our inability to, to align with it. It's the I think. And again, I'm going to say, I don't know, but uh, I think there's a huge role to play regarding the the sense of self or what we want to call ego. Right. What what uh, the spiritualists will call ego. Right. OK, so I explain in the Red Book the scientific need for the ego from a physiological perspective, right? Because we have a limbic system that looks throughout all of our perceptions for threats and a threat to self so that we can avoid the threats and live longer. Our brain is our organ of survival. It helps us figure out where to build food and shelter, how to figure out how to grow food, where the food and water is, uh, how to say, tell jokes to get somebody to jump into bed with us, et cetera, uh, to propagate the species, et cetera. Our brain is the organ of survival. And in that primitive, structure of the brain there's the limbic system which searches our perceptions for threats to self well then another question must be asked a threat to what what is self give me the laundry list of things that we need to defend against so that i can be able to identify whether a leaf cutter ant on the wall is going to be a threat to me because i don't know whether i have leaves or not i need to have an idea of whether i have leaves to be able to identify whether i should expend energy going back to friston's free energy principle on whether or not i should defend myself against that ant if i don't have leaves and i don't have a problem with that ant if i do then i do and so then the the ego is a physiological requirement it is a thing that it will never stop as long as you have an operating brain it will never stop operating and so when you throw something as complex as infinity and an expanded consciousness in there that's supposed to wipe out. That's the ego death that everybody gets an ego trip on being able to add to their sense of self, right? Oh, I've had ego death, right? <clears throat> so um, 
that's super complicated and super tricky because the first thing that the ego wants to do when you have a consciousness expansion experience is put it on as an as a cloak of accomplishment to say oh i'm enlightened or i've had a ego death or what anything you're right back in the same shit that you started with five minutes ago or an hour and a half ago however long it took the cattle the catalyzation of your chemical um, compounds to to metabolize uh, in your expansion experience, right? Um, that's the first thing that your ego does. And so it wants to muddy the waters. And because of, you know, you, maybe you've had a lifetime full of, and everybody has, by the way, 99.999% of us all have been run by our ego and the reactions of our ego as explained by, you know, I explain it as the equation of emotion, which is simply a representation of what happens in the physiology to create our negative emotions, et cetera, and our positive emotions as well. You have this thing that's been running your life the whole time. And so you have this experience thing catalyzed by whatever, which I think the natural process is great because even when you're talking about psychedelics, right? Five um, amino DMT doesn't get you there. I've experienced it and it's amazing and it's infinity and it's the idea, but it's not enlightenment. I'll tell you right now. Um, there is, I think, a natural process that is built within the wisdom of the physiology itself that helps deliver things in a timely fashion with the little components that you need this goes back to an idea that i first heard from uh, deepak chopra where he's like you know the, the pharmaceutical companies isolate the active component and strip all the wisdom out of the root and then bring you the chemical and doesn't create you know doesn't give you the rest of the stuff that comes with the root that may help the active chemical um react in a pro social pro positive pro health way um, and so they're throwing a chemical at you and they're not delivering any of the wisdom. I think there might be a process of a natural process of consciousness expansion that delivers the wisdom within your physiology itself. And so any technology, I agree with you, any technology is going to be a subset of the, of the wholesome path that millions of years of evolution have put in, put in our laps. Right. So <clears throat> I agree with you that using technology is going to be a subset and maybe not the greatest way of getting there. Using a psychedelic is going to be a subset and maybe not the greatest way of getting there. However, with that caveat, I would like to say it's better than nothing, right? So if we, if we, if we, if we have those tools and the option is not to use them and, and live an entire life of being completely unaware and unawakened and yada, 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 that might not be as good as getting a glimpse, right? Getting a hint that there's more out there and then discovering other ways to expand that and, and get it into a deeper awareness or deeper wellness. Um, and so that's kind of been my position of, you know, I, cause I had a big thing. I, I had this whole enlightenment experience before I even experienced uh, any psychedelics at all. And it wasn't until I met the Navy SEALs that I uh, are now friends with. Uh, that we wound up going down to the Amazon, deep into the Amazon jungle with a couple of Navy SEALs. I'm going to tell that story in my next book, which is amazing, to do copious amounts of ayahuasca and 5-MeO and experience mushrooms and yada, yada, yada. And um, so because I wanted to compare, I was like, okay, well, can psychedelics deliver this same type of expansion of consciousness experience that came through naturally through a meditative approach? Um, and that answer for me was no. It might be yes for somebody else, but for me, it was no. But um, are the tools the ultimate end-all, be-all? No. But are they going to be better than glomming on to your political party and your religion and, your, and just being spoon-fed the information that 
says it's the answers that aren't really the answers and then buying into this whole 3d illusion and being so wrapped up in it that you can't get out of it and get beyond it and push our evolution forward through an expansion of understanding that none of this shit is real um you know so is there a tool that can maybe push us a little farther than being there maybe that's maybe that's useful maybe that's a positive thing if it if you can then find other ways to deliver some of the wisdom to say mm, look a little look a little deeper breathe go breathe go get in go lay on the grass get in connection with the earth right be able to shut your brain down and see what happens right see see if you can change the patterns in your gray matter that have been limiting you from this you know this greater awareness throughout your entire life wasn't up until this moment see if you can change those and see what arises within you to maybe give you some different insights and better wisdom you know so i don't know it's more 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 words agreed might as well <laughs> see what can happen right for sure yeah well i mean that's that's kind of the because here's the thing you look out in the world and we're it's it's a dumpster fire right <laughs> we're we're in a horrible situation we have uh, com countries that are invading other countries and now we're threatening nuclear war and we've got we're destroying the ability to deliver power to entire swaths of europe based on trying to make it more difficult for somebody else because they have a different set of beliefs and a different set of mindful attachments that you know they've been handed uh based on their ch chunk of earth um we're in a horrible state and we do definitely need an increased awareness and an, an expansion of consciousness experience for everyone. And if I had the, the power to do so without being killed or thrown into jail, I would dose the entire world with mushrooms, right? <laughs> so do I believe that that's the end all be all way to get an expanded conscious awareness? No. And would I suggest that for people who are not ready for it? No. But do I think it would move us in the right direction? Yes. So, you know, there's a big shade of gray discussion there. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're um, with you based on conversations we've both had together. You're fucking spot on with that. They open the door, but they do not get you to walk through. You still got to do the work to get through. And yeah, loved what you said about ego death. It's one of the funniest statements people make. I had an ego death. Like <laughs> you just said I, so therefore you definitely didn't. And it's literally impossible to say I had an ego death without using your idea of yourself and well, no, being... I mean, it's a miracle it came back to life it's right there with you <laughs> <laughs> right I mean, no, right there's no arguing that you could certainly have an ego death right that moment it's gone right that that whole thing of your Definitely. identification of all the things that you identified with previously that moment it's dead that moment it's been removed but but it comes right back right because it's a physiological requirement for the for the survival of a body and it's going to operate. It's going to put back on that experience that you just had. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, I think yeah. that's funny. No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, I think it's hilarious. Um, so with that, just just to touch on, maybe we can move on from sense of self and, and this idea of suffering after this. But with the idea of, of self, then I've kind of come to an understanding that our idea of ourselves are pretty much the root of the suffering that we experience. And there is that sort of primitive self that we you know, actually do have needs for basic needs like food, water, sustenance, even shelter to protect us from the elements and whatnot. But in our society, and especially, you know, for most of our society, we have gone beyond just those basic needs. And, you know, now when someone judges us for, you know, something that they are probably going through in their own life, and they are using us as a reflection, we feel bad because it's no longer just this basic 
idea of self, but it's this entire idea of self with, you know, my opinions on this versus this, my allegiances, my religion, all of these things that I identify with beyond just those basic needs. Have you found in your research of the mind that this identity, these things that we hold on to and attach to more or less do end up becoming the root of our suffering, or at least what causes us to have many of these internal emotional, you know, brain chemistry, like reactions to reality. Yes. Um, and there's scientific proof of it. So the, the basics of the equation of emotion are your expectation and a preference as compared to your perception, then create an emotional reaction. That's the basis of the equation of emotion. Your expectation and a preference comes from your identification of self. And it comes from those things that you attach to. Now, Jim Cohn at the University of Virginia was the first person, like um, Antonio Damasio was the first person to come up with the self and the proto-self and the, and the idea that even cells can have an idea of self. And that's how they create a homeostatic um, action. And then from there, you have multiple levels of self that come up into our um, reverse cascade up into our grand sense of self. Now, the grand sense of self can be represented, and I represented it as a circular attachment map, but basically there's a bunch of science behind it. So Antonio Damasio came up with the idea of the self, which was, <clears throat> okay, so it's our body, right? Our sense of self is our body. And then Jim Cohn at the University of Virginia proved that it wasn't just our body by getting people in an fMRI machine. And he ran through this group, multiple groups of people uh, through three different phases of an experiment. And he, so he put them in the fMRI and he said, okay, I'm going to give you a flash of light in your little plastic glasses. And I'm going to wait a few seconds. And then I'm going to shock you on the ankle. And so what he was doing was watching for the sense of self to appear in the mind and for the fear response to register. And that's exactly what he got in the first run because he came in the flash of light. He waited a few seconds and then he zapped their ankle and they were all in the fear anticipation of being zapped, right? Because that's a threat to self. It's an attack on self because of the physiology. So the second run, he brought in a stranger and he put him next to the person in the fMRI and he said, okay, I'm gonna take the ankle zapper off of you. So you're no longer a threat. And we're going to give you the flash of light. We're gonna watch your brain and then we're gonna zap the stranger. And personally, I would have sold popcorn and cable rights and yada, yada, but Jim was doing science. So I respect him very much. The second run they got was what they expected, which was no fear and no sense of self in the brain because there was no thoughts of threat to self and there was no fear of attack on self when you were attacking the stranger. Uh, then they did a third thing. And this is what changed the world. They brought in someone who's called a familiar which is a, a significant other, great friend, coworker, somebody that you're attached to that you identify as part of your world. And they put that person next to the person in the fMRI and he said, okay, we're gonna give you the flashlight, we're gonna watch your brain, and then we're gonna zap your friend or your lover or whatever it was. And they couldn't tell the first and the third scans apart. So from a brain's perspective, that person gets entirely written into our sense of self. It becomes a portion of who and what we are. It's maybe not your physiology, but it is my grandma my lover, my friend, my whatever, uh, which then your simple defensive self circuitry reacts to as a way to process the defensive self and create emotions for the people that we love or the people that we care about. You'd be happy for someone or sad for someone or uh, angry when someone attacks one of your friends, right? Um, and so then Tiffany Burnett White at UAUC proved that we have same types of connections to ideas, self-brand connections. She proved that this brain does the exact same thing 
Apple versus Android, Ford versus Chevy, the New York Jets versus the New York Giants. Um, these become ideas of your sense of self. The things that you attach to become part of your world, which then your simple defensive self mechanisms can react to based on the custom variation of self that you are creating within your mind. Um, and so from there, you have, and Sam Harris proved uh, in science that uh, we do the same thing with uh, politics and religion and all other ideas, et cetera. So you start with the basic programming, the basic wiring of the defensive self mechanism. It's the question about what yourself then becomes with the ideas that you then pile on top of it with your religion and politics and life history and cultural heritage and all the things that you care about or you're attached to, which then must be defended at all costs. And the idea is the, the, the homeostasis drives the expectation and a preference in the equation of emotion by taking all the things that you identify with sense of self, then they must be held from a mathematical perspective. They must be held at status quo or increase in value, or we're going to have a problem. And at the point you have a perception that comes in and doesn't meet your expectation and a preference. First of all, if you have a balanced equation of emotion where you have the perception that matches your expectation and a preference that everybody think everything be held at status quo or increase in value, you have a positive emotion. If you have a perception that something comes in through your mind, generated by your own mind, imaginary thoughts or whatever, versus headlines on a paper that don't meet your expectation and a preference, that your favorite team lost the score of the game or somebody said this in Congress today or whatever it was that rubbed you the wrong way, then you have a negative emotion. And it's that simple of a process to be able to be able to take your sense of self over here, which is very quantifiable at this point, measure what your expectation and our preference is going to be, which is the work of you know, David Eagleman and all standard neuroscience, your expectation building versus your perception and appraisal process of what it is that you're looking at, experiencing or seeing and how that's a shifting one of these things positively or negatively, then you have your emotional response. And if you take either one of these away, by the way, the expectation or preference, like you don't care who won the Super Bowl, you hear about the Super Bowl, you wind up with apathy. If you do care about who won the Super Bowl and you don't know who won the Super Bowl, you still have an apathy uh, about that, or you, you have no emotional response because you don't know who won or lost the game. Um, like the whole thing works out great. And when you understand that whole process, you can turn it down, which is amazing. Um, it becomes less of a, when you, when you, when you find that experience of being able to look at your sense of self from a distance, it becomes a very liberating thing to say, Hey, wait, that's not me. I thought it was me five minutes ago, but now that I understand how the whole thing works and I watch the thing go from soup to nuts on creating my anger in this very instance. Wow. Now it doesn't control me anymore. Now I can understand that I am the thing that can watch this thing, the observer. Right. And so I think science proves your supposition in that you know you can now track in an fmri the physiological reaction to sense of self and you can map the things that are on the sense of self and you can now predict and this is the thing that i was talking about last week this is the thing we've got to be really careful of there are now algorithms that i helped put together and that i made public by the way because bad actors are already bad acting them and it could be used as a mass population influence emotional influence tool to um you know time the socioeconomic collapse of a country from you know, influencing them emotionally on their cell phones um we need to have a big discussion about that but basically you can you can predict a human emotion from a real human being based on what you know just like we process it from a theory of mind perspective like you know somebody um so well that you know how they'd react to a very specific piece of stimuli a very specific piece of information such as you know, the, even if it's diff's information you come in and lie and say the pet died right you know that's going to make somebody super sad 
based on what you know and how you process emotions in a subconscious level, being able to extrapolate how their mind works and what they're attached to and whether or not their perception and appraisal process is going to be same that the pet died. Maybe they've been waiting for the thing for years. And now they can go on vacation. Yay, the pet finally died, right? <clears throat> so there's a whole analysis that needs to be done there. But um, you can mathematize the whole thing. And if that's true, then, you know, you're you're being you're starting to be able to explain from a scientific perspective the things that the wise uh sages have known for thousands of years and have been teaching about and have been wanting to lead people to i think you're right on there and i think there's scientific support for all of that now we need a little bit more testing and more studies and stuff to really nail it down but um i think that's completely on the right path yeah i would agree with that it's funny because um what you're talking about in terms of the uh, equation of emotion um expectation versus pre uh, perception is kind of what we talk about in terms of need versus assumption yeah if i need something i'm going to expect it and if, and if i'm assuming something it's going to cause the same amount of conflict and, and so what you're saying is is both terrifying to me but on the other hand there's almost this 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 question mark that gives me a little bit of hope in terms of not being so so predictable. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying about that test where the stranger was beside you. You don't care about the stranger. You're not going to identify with fear. Your body's not going to care. I find it really interesting though, that we did care when it was somebody we knew, because typically with people that we know, as soon as we get familiar with them, our, our walls start to come down. We start to actually see ourselves in that person. So it's not necessarily that we're identifying with them, but we're experiencing an empathy because we can recognize ourselves in them. And so I wonder if the reason that they didn't respond to the stranger was because of their ego, was because of the walls. This is a person who's not important to me. This is, and so all the walls maintained, whereas the yeah. other people, they allowed themselves to feel that a bit more because those walls weren't there. And it makes me wonder about this. And this is really my big question. If that's the case, then we're always affecting everybody around us, in which case mushrooms, technology, those aren't the only accelerator pads. People like you are. People like you just wandering around the world, working on your own stuff, basically just challenging all of your assumptions and your needs and your expectations are constantly raising your awareness level and thus affecting everybody around you. And the reason that's interesting to me is because I think that this ties into another subject that you often talk about. And I do want to get into it before we wrap up the episode here within the next 45 minutes or so. Extraterrestrials, specifically mm. extraterrestrial intelligence, because in a recent video, you were saying, no wonder they don't come down here we're all kind of nuts and dragging our knuckles around. And that's absolutely true. And I think that's exactly the point is that we don't have the wherewithal to recognize that they're us. Whereas they would know very clearly that all of this is connected. And I think that their technology or their awareness makes it possible for them to break the laws of physics as we were talking about earlier, or at least use them in ways that we don't understand. Um, yeah. I find that incredibly interesting. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about your own theories regarding extraterrestrials and whether or not you think we're going to actually start having contact with them in our lifetime. Yeah, I think that brings up a good point regarding high watermark, right? So one of the one of the drawbacks that I see of spiritual teachers and spirituality period and consciousness expansion is that somebody has a little bit of a bump and they they then try to equate that to being the end all be all of existence and understanding. And that may not be true for the potential, right? It's like they've had an awakening, they understand, and they're trying to teach from that heightened awareness level. But then there's a whole bunch more above where they've experienced that exists that they don't understand exists because they haven't experienced it yet. And I think the same is true on intelligence level that we're assuming a high watermark of intelligence in humanity that, you know, 
a video that I <clears throat> that I did, I actually compared us to Ewoks. And I was like, <clears throat> we are the um uh surface dwelling, uh clan warring, uh you know, primitive technology, you know, natives on this planet. <clears throat> and we're wondering why, you know, these advanced creatures don't come down when the first thing that happened in Star Wars episode six was they introduced themselves to the natives and the natives immediately put them on the menu for dinner, right? Um, that's kind of the same situation that I see of any capable race that can fly interstellar through the cosmos beyond light speeds because they're, you know, breaking the laws of physics as humans understand it, right? And that we're assuming our understanding of physics is the high watermark of understanding of physics, obviously not. <clears throat> um, so, excuse me, let me kind of get my little mute button there. Um, I do think. You know, obviously, from a mathematical perspective, it is guaranteed we are not the only species in the universe from the perspective of just the things we can see. Uh, so then it brings into the question of, okay, so are there other species within 3D space-time? Most likely. Are there other species that could exist in neighboring dimensions? We're talking about multidimensionality at this point and, um, you know, consciousness being something that touches all dimensions, at least for my invented perspective of, uh, based on my experience um, could there be gatherings of data in things that we cannot see touch feel experience except in very particular instances or circumstances where a shift in um, things congealing and co coinciding come together to a point where a crossover can occur there are a lot of things that we need to discuss and explore there regarding the weirdness of the things that occur here on the planet um, that's kind of how I I'm I'm really open minded about I know I know for sure that if you're going to exist inside of a 3D space time that is connected into a non local conscious field, then you're going to be tied into consciousness. At that point, then you can discuss the stories like in James Fox's documentary, the phenomenon, the very last story of those, you know, 30 or 40 kids in the schoolyard who explained how they saw a craft that landed a being came out of the craft they all explained the same craft the same being it wasn't a big hoax 30 years later they had the same story they got it all on video because it was such a big um experience for those and it's such a, an amazing phenomena and they all explained how the the individual from that craft communicated with them telepathically and not in words but in ideas and images and feelings, et cetera, that could transcend language barriers, et cetera. Um, I think that, you know, there, we are certainly not the only thing in the universe with that's tied into consciousness for certain, because if we're not the only thing in the universe period, everything in the universe is tied into consciousness. If consciousness is in a non-local field, it collapses all the wave functions. And if it's smart and intelligence and, and doing things logically, it's going to be tied into everything. And so everything in the universe is going to have consciousness. Well, you know, at that point, um, let's discuss our limitations and how to remove some of those limitations and being able to expand into a consciousness that may be allowing us to then communicate non-locally from our bodies to another individual, such as, you know, the Stephen Greer is now showing the CE5 protocol to be somewhat effective. Uh, and I came up with a, a very interesting hack on that, that, uh, I myself, the first time we tried it, 
with a couple of Navy SEALs right on a fishing trip at uh, Lake Hartwell in Georgia. And, you know, we were like, oh, we want to try this thing. Let's, let's see if we can do this thing. And within 30 seconds, we had a tandem craft flyby doing Mach 20 across the sky at 90 degree angle turns. One of them did a perfect semicircle, went into a 90 degree, did a perfect semicircle, came out of it at a 90 degree without slowing down a, a whit. The other one came right behind it, did a 90 degree at the same spot, did a little corkscrew dealio, kind of just to say, hey, this isn't a time delayed, you know, representation of the same ship. We're individuals doing something else. Went to the same spot that the first ship did, but the first ship went to a spot and disappeared. Boom, gone. The second one went to another, went to the same location and disappeared. Boom, it was gone in front of two highly credible professional observers, right? Who passed the, what the world's most advanced fighting force in the, in the world had for training to weed out the crazy folks and the folks who couldn't be trusted and the unbalanced folks and yada, yada, like their, their selection process on the psychological side is much tougher than it is on the physical side, which a lot of people don't know. Um, and those guys reported the exact same thing where us, we just kind of reached out and said, Hey, come on, give us a flyby. And we got a message back. It was like, yeah, all right, let's go. And then 30 seconds later, we got two craft coming over our heads doing this amazing beyond, beyond physics stuff. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, my thought on it is certainly extraterrestrials exist, uh, probably, you know, multi-dimensional conscious existence exists. Is something that we should probably want to connect with if we can learn from it and become friends with it. I do think that, you know, obviously if there's somebody out there who's been there from a 3D space-time perspective interfacing with Earth or flying in and out of Earth for years as history is now starting to show with all of the great paintings showing stuff in the sky, right? Ships in the sky and, and you have mentions in the Bible of ET visitation, et cetera, um, <clears throat> that... Um, if they wanted us dead or if they had any mal uh, intent for us, we would have been gone long before. Like if you want to wipe out Ewoks, I mean, you know, just start firing particle beam weapons at them. They're all going to be gone pretty soon. Right. So um, I think they certainly exist. Science suggests they exist. There's a lot of been, there's been a suppression of a lot of stuff that uh, would help the, the unstable folks who maybe aren't ready for that information because when you're talking about a uh, sense of self processing right start taking away the foundations of people's religion start taking away the foundations of their origin story start taking away the fact that they're not the, the high watermark on the totem pole in intelligence anymore right start taking away basic huge things that create the foundation for which they exist on a daily basis okay I get that, you know, we need to manage that process moving forward and make it a, a, a safer process for the folks who have been a, a little behind and a little focused on, man, I'm going to get that corner office, you know? Um, I, but I think uh, it's time to maybe start doing that experimentation and reaching out into that space of whatever it is to then see if we can't connect with it and become more one with it because the more we become one, the more closer we get to re the reality of the universe that we all are one and that there is no difference between me and you and that you are me based on your experience your physiology the differences that you've had in your life compared to the differences that i've had in my life i would wind up in the same exact spot you are based on all the things that you're experiencing as you would with me if the sooner we can get there with et or multi-dimensional intelligences I think the better. 
we will be as a species. Absolutely. That was, that was beautifully said, honestly. And, and, you know, here we are people from a different country, we call them aliens and we wonder right. why they don't want to touch down on, uh, on earth, but yeah, absolutely. I was, I was going to get into how, from my perspective, recognizing unity is where it's got to be. And it's not even, you know, we don't necessarily have to jump to the extraterrestrial, but just where we're at now. And, and as you mentioned, like, you know, our current ceiling is striving for that corner office. Like we have such a limited idea of human potential. It's, it's insane. Like we're right here and like, you know, it's, it's barely getting off the ground here. And so with that and with, you know, recognizing unity and letting go of this, this concrete idea of self as something separate from reality and maybe being able to experience more empathy and, you know, that deeper intelligence versus knowledge. I'm curious, from your perspective and your experience, how you balance that with your, you know, research and findings and day-to-day life between recognizing, you know, what Einstein experienced with kind of seeing things in his mind and that sort of tapping into that deeper intelligence, as opposed to, you know, going outside and, and not quite looking as much within with knowledge-based approaches to learning. Obviously there's always going to be a balance, but how have you found that to be in your case, with some of your recognitions and insights, do you find that more of it comes from within, from maybe that deeper intelligence that we all are, that's that localized, unified field of consciousness, or you know, more from the external? Well, a little bit of both, I guess, because in, in general, I just hold on loosely to everything, to quote 38 Special. Um, I take absolutely everything that the world hands me with a huge salt shaker to say all of this, first of all, this whole 3D space-time thing is an illusion anyway. So there's that of foundation of, you know, this is an emergent property of the fields themselves and it doesn't represent reality of what is beyond. In fact, uh, Don Hoffman, if you want to read an amazing book, Donald Hoffman proved mathematically that nothing that survives looks at reality. Uh, the things that are designed to look at reality die off and the things that are designed not to look at reality survive, which is amazing. Um, So there's that. So everything I see coming in from the world, I take with a big salt shaker. And the other side of that is even on the things that come from internal, right? From awareness or consciousness, I have to understand that those things can be tainted as well by the limitations of my physiology, right? It's not the consciousness itself that I'm really reading. It's my interpretation of the consciousness that comes through and my ability to process the information that's coming from consciousness. So then I also put an asterisk on all the things that come internally. I trust those things more on a balance um, scale. Like if you're saying trust the things of the world or trust the things from inside, I say trust the things from the inside 100% uh, of the time. But at the same time, I need to understand that my physiology, my limited gray matter is going to have a huge effect on my interpretation of what may be truth that I then am muddying with my limitations of being able to understand and my inability to process all of the information that might be coming in that I'm only getting a portion of through my conscious existence as a human being. So the balance is pretty simple in that I don't believe most of it. <laughs> I try to live my life as I would like to be treated because one of the things that 
<clears throat> before I had the awakening, what I, I identified was almost every religion on the planet, in fact, uh, I'm not sure there's an exception, has a portion of, of it that says, it's basically the golden rule, treat others as you would have yourself be treated. And I try to do that on a daily basis regarding my interactions with not just other humans, but, you know, animals and uh, uh, consciousnesses that may or may not form in 3D space time. Uh, I try to have that open hearted uh, approach of we're all here. We all exist. None of us is better than the other. And how would I prefer to be accepted or treated in that existence? And then that's what I'll try to reflect back to that person or that cat or uh, that ant or whatever it is um, that I'm interacting with. And so, you know, from a, a deepening of awareness perspective, what I, what I try to keep in mind is I'm going to be imperfect every moment of every day. And I'm going to be not working on good information every moment of every day, regardless of whether it comes from outside me or inside me. I do trust the inside me stuff more, but at the same time, I, I hold that at arm's length virtually by saying my processing of what I'm experiencing internally could be flawed. And so every moment I could be wrong and I'll never just assume that I'm right, even though I take the actions that I assume I'm right, right? I'm out there on TikTok making videos, telling people how it is from my perspective, putting on the ego, right? I'm putting on that big old cloak and buttoning it up tight and wearing it like it's, you know, I got these fancy shirts that I wear. Like all of this is part of the big act. And I know it's a big act. Personally, I hold that act really loosely to be able to throw it off at the end of the day and say, that was all bullshit, right? <clears throat> but at the same time, I'll utilize it for fun to be entertaining and uh, uh, try to be that guy who does become that force in the world that helps people push towards an expansion of their awareness and uh, to get them a little bit, be a little bit better of a human being every day, not for just humanity's sake, but for their personal sake, for their increase in wellness, and then ultimately for world peace, because the point that we stop defending that whole thing that I explained earlier with the defensive self mechanism, we start identifying and we, we, we make that transition from not caring about the stranger where we're laying in the fMRI to being as concerned for the stranger as ourselves as lying in the fMRI and seeing themselves as another version of us. Like, I would love to be that person. So I put on the whole illusion and put on the cloak and do the act. Um, but I, I hold it all super loosely because it's like, first of all, this whole thing's an illusion. Second of all, um, you know, how can you take absolutely any of this seriously when you're not working from a basis of reality in general? And why would you take anything so seriously so as to cause harm or hold yourself higher than anyone else who's here with you based on that inaccurate information? It just seems silly to me. It, yeah, absolutely. But I'm afraid, so I'm not necessarily worried about clarity or what makes sense. I just want to feel better, Sean. Just let me feel better, man. And and, and that's exactly it. It's I like what you were saying there that you, you kind of take everything with a grain of salt. Like for me, it's uncertainty. The interpretation is not the interpreted to, to you know, kind of paraphrase Krishnamurti's, the description is not the described. So no matter what it is that's coming through internally or externally, I love how you use the air quotes for both of those, by the way. Um, 
it's it's whatever it is i've already been changed I, i've said previously that my intuition doesn't have a voice i'm already doing it if i'm thinking about it that's where i'm getting in the way that's the distortion right so it's more or less yeah. just about surrender as always I, I find it so funny how it's been the same message forever because it's been the same awareness saying it forever to itself forever yeah. right and so it's so interesting how we are process that's all we are we are process and and we are perfect in our imperfection because without imperfection there would be no process there would yeah. be nothing right there would be no experience of of, of there'd be no hero's journey there'd be right. nothing right and so i enjoy the fact that you exist john i'm very excited about the fact that you exist because you're doing it for yourself and we've talked about this previously on the podcast one has to take selfishness straight out the other side until you recognize that everybody's you. Being selfish is taking care of everything, right? Which is the exact opposite of what we consider to be selfishness. But when you realize that stranger is you in the same way that you're me and, and Andrew's me and we're all, we all identify as me, we're all me, right? Then all yep. of a sudden we can feel for everybody as if they are us because they are. Yes. And it's not a belief. It's a recognition. Yes. It can't be a belief because then that's the ego. again. Yes. Tat Vamasi, right? I am that, right? That's ultimately where everything winds up is that your awareness is I am that thing which I am viewing. I am that thing which I am observing that I perceive as different. I am that thing. I am the thing that I am judging. I am the thing that I almost mistreated a moment ago. I am the thing that I should help, right? That puts you in that uh, position of non-judgment, open awareness, and complete compassion in that, you know, there's a definition of sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Sympathy is the, I understand you're in pain. The empathy is a, I feel your pain. Like George, uh, Bill Clinton used to say, I feel your pain. And then you got the, um, the added component, which um, Thupten Jinpa agrees that this is the definition of compassion and the relation between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Compassion adds a component of, I want to help you. And so it's the, I feel your pain. I understand you're in pain. I feel your pain. And I want to help you from that pain. That gets you the, the, the quick delivery into that space of compassion to be able to say, and that's the whole thing with the, the you know, Jesus is turn the other cheek. Like he says, okay, you hit me in the face and I'm supposed to be angry about that because that's an attack on my sense of self and you're uh, creating um, you know, a, a slight against me, whatever it is that creates the transition from being, I'm going to punch you back to, would you like the other one? I'm, I understand you're experiencing pain to the point that you feel that it will make you feel better to strike me. Can I help you in striking me again? Would, would you like the other side? Right. Which is his whole, his whole preach of, um, you know, you want my cloak here, take my tunic too. Right. That's, that's where you get into that space of understanding the illusion between self and other is an illusion and doesn't really exist. And you're helping another version of yourself in being selfless as possible. But as you outlined, it's simply a re-identification of self as I am everything and whatever the world or the universe needs of me, I can give. And I think that was beautifully put, by the way. Absolutely. I'm, I'm loving this conversation that we got to this point. I think, yeah, we've touched on a lot of stuff so far. I do have a couple questions on other topics for you, Sean. And I'm curious, you know, you talk a lot about those 
you know, the powers that be, you know, maybe behind the curtain, we don't have to get into too many details with it, but with that, a big aspect of that is our monetary system and the fed and the controlling people behind all of that. And so I'm curious of your perspective. We've talked about it many times on this podcast related to crypto and Bitcoin. If you have thoughts on that, if you see it as a path away from the governmental strong grasp and, and control that the Fed currently has and, and the global monetary system behind it. Um, yeah, just curious your thoughts about crypto, Bitcoin, if you have any, if you don't, that's okay too. I, I would, it's ironic that you ask about that because the last couple of days I've been thinking about that in that it's an interesting pattern and it's not going to stop, by the way. So you get these individuals who, for whatever reason, they put together a monetary trade token called Bitcoin. And then we have a bunch of variations on Bitcoin. And they start to use it in, you know, of course, the nefarious criminally uh, charged uses are put in the headlines so that, you know, you can buy drugs online and Silk Road and all this other stuff is all Bitcoin, et cetera. And so then they use that excuse because if you talk about monetary systems way back when, we didn't have a currency that was so readily available that you could trade it nationally, even in the history of this country in the United States. And what they used, ironically, uh, for a while, for a very short while, were like these beaver pelts. And so the trappers were the rich people of the world where they went out and grabbed these beaver pelts because they were so useful for fur, creating coats and um, the, the leather was useful, et cetera. And so you'd trade a number of beaver pelts for a, a bit of corn and then you'd trade the beaver pelts for uh, whatever else you needed for the wood that you wanted to build your new farmhouse out in the middle of Oklahoma or whatever and so from there um, then the, the creation of money and coin currency replaced that eventually as a service to the citizenry to be able to give them something that they didn't have to carry around a bunch of corn and then hand out to trade to get wheat or to get uh, whatever it is that they needed to build their life. And so we, we've had a, a government-backed, controlled system for trade that was a service to the people. But beyond that, beyond their creation of this currency, you're pretty much free to trade other things. In fact, there are things that are still being used by the folks who want to avoid taxes today. People trade diamonds, and you hear about the diamonds in the soles of her shoes and that type of thing. You hear about art. Uh, where these things aren't tracked from a monetary currency perspective, and people use these as um, stores of value uh, to where they can't be tracked and they're easy to carry hundreds of thousands of dollars in diamonds in your pocket without having to um, uh, declare them when you fly internationally, et cetera. So the, the store of wealth and the transfer of wealth um, through these different other means has always been a freedom that we've had. And yet now that we create this amazing technological thing that wasn't created by the government, but created by outside sources, the first thing the government wants to do is come in and take it over. In that we don't any longer have the freedom of deciding that money isn't something, isn't going to be our store of value and isn't going to be our trading commodity or, or trading uh, utility. So you create something that the people in power can't manage anymore. And the first thing they want to do is regulate it for the good of society, of course, so that, you know, fraud doesn't happen so that uh, we can protect the, the meek and the, 
those who are uh, would be taken advantage of. We need to, you know, all of the laws that we put in place to ensure that, uh, you know, thievery doesn't happen and fraud doesn't happen, yada, yada, yada. Well, you've got something else you want to use now? Okay, well, all right, well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to take control of that and, and move it over into the same uh, avenue and, and uh, uh, the same structure that we've created for money, because you can't, you can't control the monetary system. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. And so now they're putting all these rules and laws and, and whatnot um, connected with the trade of cryptocurrency. And now they're, of course, building a, a, an infrastructure to have a central bank digital currency um, that will ultimately replace the dollar, I guess. I don't know. You hear the rumors about when that's going to happen. But, um, and, but they're trying, they're not allowed, they're not going to allow an individual or a group of individuals to create a currency that has a trade utility because then they can't control it. And the whole amazing thing for them is if they create a digital currency, they can create as much as they want. They can hand out as much as they want without having to report it to whomever they want, which then still allows for the haves and haves not and the controlling class and the slave class. Um, because they're controlling the currency by the way they can track every transfer of currency from here throughout the rest of time now to understand the crime that they will put a blind eye to because it's their buddies versus the crime that they're now going to come in and shut you down for for you know their local poker game or sex work or you know other things that are of uh, questionable moral content so I think it's interesting now just to watch and it would be interesting to see if if an another group tried to start up another digital currency that became popular and was utilized by individuals whether or not they would let that stand and i'm guaranteeing they wouldn't and i'm pretty sure that they're going to make bitcoin go away or uh, highly regulate and control it as well um and they're going to take the the anonymity out of the trade as well so that everyone is tracked to every bit of currency that they have in trade and for what reason etc and i'm not sure that's a great thing um because that certainly erodes freedom if you want to talk about attachment to ideas that are maybe better than other ideas of you know slavery or or uh, you know control of the masses etc it's interesting to see how this is going to play out and how they're going to make it happen. Cause you know, the, the powerful are going to certainly try to usurp the power of the powerless and keep them down. And that's of course going to include the ability to control monetary systems and trade. So I know how it's going to end. Unfortunately, I'm interested to find out how they make it get there and whether or not, anyone will ever have enough power to be able to rise up to say no no more and what a different type of trade might be in that system uh but that's the kind of the thoughts that i've been having the last couple of days so i don't know what you guys have talked about at all but i just think it's kind of interesting how you, you try to replace a, a system that's corrupt and then they come in and say okay we're going to take that from you too and we're going to corrupt it yeah, it's funny because, I mean, uh, I think it was back in 2010, 2011, uh, Ron Paul created the Liberty Dollar. Same thing. U.S. government came in, shut that down, started arresting people who even had them. And, and it's because there's so much invested in, in the dollar bills that we use. They're all bills of exchange. So they're all 
whether you realize it or not, agreement to work within the system and agreement to be under their jurisdiction. As soon as you're using their, their contracts, their bills of exchange, you are agreeing to be under their jurisdiction. So they want you to continue to use their money because that's you saying, yes, please, please reign over me. Right. And they don't want us to trade otherwise. And this is why it's funny here in Canada, because I, I live in Canada. I don't know if the IRS does the same thing, but if we do trade anything that's not money, they actually tell you, you need to declare what the monetary value of that trade was so we can tax you on it because we're going to do yeah. that. that. That's going to happen. Absolutely. So I think what's interesting about Bitcoin, I think you're right. Like I've been waiting since it came out for the government to squash it. Um, the fact that they didn't kind of keeps me entertained. Like it, it's it's continuing to go because it's it's kind of a battle between people who want their freedom and want their value and want to, to do their own thing versus the system, which is like, well, well, you've always trusted us. Why don't you trust us now? Where are you going? Um, right. So I, I find that really interesting. But and this is my theory. And I'm, I'm curious as to what you think about it, because I'm not a big fan of money. Straight up. I, I agree that there was some some importance there in terms of trade, being able to, to monetize things or, or being able to evaluate things, trading them back and forth. But as soon as it became about money, greed, corruption, the ability to create more money, all of the things that you just listed, that's always going to keep popping up as long as we're egotistical. As long as we're afraid and we view, and view each other as separate, we're always going to corrupt the system regardless of how we evaluate it. And so I think we actually just have to evolve. And I'm wondering if Bitcoin or, or the entire concept of cryptocurrency and not being able to, to mess with that system, regardless of how good it is, if it fails, is this gonna be the final kick to the can? Is this going to be the thing that finally convinces us maybe money's not the way to go in the same way that our recent experiment in democracy is kind of failing us as well? Yeah, it's, it's gonna be a really interesting, I think, you know, if I was gonna do it, here's how I'd do it. I wouldn't take Bitcoin down or Ethereum or any of the cryptocurrencies that I didn't have control of originally. And I would certainly, I mean, I know uh, these monetary institutions have invested heavily in some of the cryptocurrencies and the technology, and they may be readying a new technology to replace um, monetary utility. Here's how I'd do it. I'd let Bitcoin and Ethereum and some of the other things survive for a while because that introduces the idea and I would invest in some of those to create stability in the market and throw billions of dollars into the market and just let it sit there so there wasn't a whole ton of volatility. I mean, there's some, but there's not a bunch. Um, overall, it's not like people are losing their life savings uh, week to week in this system. And so there's now some trust building being uh, uh, assembled. So I'd let that survive until I was ready to introduce the new thing, which everyone would then adopt because I would crush the dollar or whatever currency that exists that you're in. And I would say, okay, that's failed. We need a brand new system. And at that point that everybody's panicking their bread lines, there's a food shortage. There's a question about survival. They're going to be ready to accept absolutely anything that you throw in front of them to get things back to normal. So what I would do is I'd let the existing system survive until we had a crisis at which point i could then introduce the new system that everybody's gonna be clamoring for at that point because they want everything to go back to normal um i built i work for years and i have retirement now it's worth zero how do we get that back i, I need to feed my family next week right <clears throat> so then i'd introduce the new system of course everybody will immediately accept it uh and then when i had the new system running and operating for a little while then we say okay 
bunch of headlines. The illegal activity connected with this is horrible for society. And then shut it down. Illegalize it. Go in, grab everybody's uh, big old uh, Bitcoin farming operations, shut them down, shut down, make uh, you know the existing cryptocurrencies illegal um, as a use for tender and uh, completely like they did with uh, you know, the Paul experiment, uh, just say no. And we have the guns and you don't. So you want to argue? Go ahead. We'll shoot you. Uh, and then just, uh, you know, then you've, then you've got a system off and running that has been tested and normalized through innovation. And then you replace it with the thing that you can control and wipe out the thing that originally started it. That's what I'd do. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. That's the way I'd do it. I appreciate your yeah. thought process. <laughs> yeah, remind them why they need us, right? The famous V right. for Vendetta line. Oh, it's, it's fascinating to see it. And so this take isn't, I'm not going to say that I'm pro or anti or anything, but it's interesting, like the evolution of things happening. And I, I am like pretty into Bitcoin and stuff, but this is kind of related to more so what you were saying about the, uh, patiently waiting for the overtaking. And there's so many things in process right now. One of them being, you know, like gun laws, for example. And the second amendment was never created to protect people from each other. It was to protect the citizens from the government. So it's fascinating, just all of the things sort of in the mix of society right now. And I don't know, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned of where, like how far this is going to go and like where the, the end point is and like what's going to be placed on top. Like I think of, you know, apocalyptic type, post-apocalyptic type TV shows where it's like government's control is like wandering the streets with guns. Kind of like, I mean, Australia kind of uh, experienced something like that during COVID a little bit. Um, but it's interesting to see all of it at play. And we talk about this sometimes, like the balance of all of it, like as the governmental controls and, and, the people who feel like they have all of this control clamp down more, more things in reality pop up. You know, there's more discussions happening just like this all over the world. There's things like, you know, psychedelics are almost sudden coming back to life to maybe be utilized, not as that, you know, end point, but as a step in the way of recognizing, like you were saying earlier, give everyone fucking mushrooms. That could uh, solve a lot of things, maybe not fully solve, but at least get us thinking a little bit differently outside of the idea of like this more for me type mentality. So with all, with all these things happening, it's, it's just, I guess, interesting to see all of it at play and sort of be, have some semblance of awareness of all of it and being able to see, even for myself, just like, you know, recognizing things a little bit more deeply over the past year. It's like, you start you know, opening your eyes a little bit wider and seeing things a little bit more for, for how they are and what really drives people in, in different directions. And so I'm curious, I don't know if you have some thoughts, you, you gave some thoughts on your uh, perspective on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And, and if you see potentially or have a theory on the breaking point of like, how many more pandemics do we experience? If you, if you think there's another, you know, what's the thing they're going to instill fear into us next? Do you think it's maybe uh depression coming up a lot of people are talking about that i'm curious i guess just your take on current landscape maybe next five years next 10 years where you see reality shaking out between you know the very egoic type mentality versus 
you know, the conversations around unity that are starting to pop up more and more as well. Sure. You know, I think um, there will always be those in power who want to remain in power for very egoic reasons for the process of the ego in the mind uh, dictating their actions. And so I don't think that's ever going to go away until we have some type of watershed moment of consciousness expansion globally. Could that be disclosure of an extraterrestrial existence? Possibly. I mean, Ronald Reagan even said something like, I, I, I wonder what the world would look like if we do one day discover that um, extraterrestrial intelligence exists and how we would look upon each other differently from, you know, uh, different countries and different ethnicities and rate, you know, human race to human race variations. And um, <clears throat> I think, you know, there's always going to be the bad actors who want to try to control everything from the top. Some people are going to delude themselves to say they're serving the greater good and serving the folks who aren't ready for whatever information that you're hiding from them um, to, to make them safer, to coddle them and make them more comfortable. Uh, so there's, I think there's always going to be kind of that problem that we're going to have to deal with, regardless of what mechanism they use in the short term and long term uh, is certainly going to be a question. I do think that there's the opportunity for individuals to sidestep that whole process by expanding their consciousness and getting into a deeper connection with the non-local consciousness field and communicating in a way that can't be circumvented. Um, and kind of that's going to be kind of my focus on, I'm going to let those, you know, those folks who are trying to control the world, go ahead and try to control the world. They're certainly not going to control me from a, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, building a, a self-sustaining existence out to where unless you change the laws dramatically, I'm going to be able to pay the taxes on my location and not have to connect to your power grid, not have to uh, get into your monetary system to go buy my food because I'll be growing my own food and pulling the water from, you know, rightly from my own well and existing in my uh, little bubble. And then if you want to cut off my communication technologies, I'll still be able to exist happily without your systems of control, which is awesome. And then if you allow me, I'll help teach others how to do the same. Um, I, I'm kind of focused on the expanding consciousness thing to reach out and learn to commune with my neighbors that I maybe haven't met before or that we haven't really connected with on a regular basis before. And um, sidestep the control mechanism that way, because they're, that's, that's going to be the ultimate control uh, opportunity, right, is to control the relationship between the people who live here and the people who live maybe other places. And um, I'm moving to kind of sidestep that whole process as a grander scheme of, yeah, oh, sure, they're going to create the next crisis. And of course, when they switch over from a, a fiat currency system to a digital currency system, they're going to have to create a crisis in the middle so that everyone is clamoring for the next thing that they, they come up with. Because if you, if you don't create the crisis and you just try to say, okay, well, so we're going to move off of fiat currency because we're kind of uncomfortable and we're going to move into a digital currency transfer, um, there'll be so many people who'd resist it. They say, no, 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 no. You're not, you're not going to be taking that power away from me. You're not going to be deciding, uh, you know, how for me to tell you exactly how many dollars that I'm holding in my hand. Screw you. Um, I'm going to resist that. 
unless you're talking about an existential crisis event of not being able to deliver food to people and all of a sudden their little ones are at risk. Um, yada, 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 before they, they can glamour onto whatever you're going to put in front of them next, which certainly makes sense. <clears throat> certainly how I would do it if I was going to cause task um, transition. Um, I think that, you know, focusing on the near term and the ups and downs and the yada, yada, yada is getting a little too much in the weeds from my perspective of uh, identification, identification of self and uh, reacting to the things that would then affect self. And um, from a personal perspective, I'm going to focus on expanding consciousness and making new connections into places that I haven't made connections into historically. That have, you know, you, you start developing into that space and you see how huge it is and what the opportunity is there. And um, helping others to, or suggesting that others do so as well, and maybe helping to share whatever wisdom that I can glean from how to do that type of thing so that they can then sidestep the control mechanisms that they may or may not want to be a part of. Some people are going to be, are going to be great with staying within the control mechanism. And if you give them a certain amount of, you know, a uh, modicum of freedom <clears throat> of choice to give them a illusion of free will, they're going to be fine with staying within the structures of the system and playing by the rules that have been set in front of them. And I think that's another thing that we need to be taking into consideration is that, Ultimate freedom is probably not awesome for absolutely everyone. And it's a tough pill to swallow, especially in folks who identify with, I want as much freedom as possible. And I want zero control over, you know, what I want to be able to do with my life while I'm here, inclusive of connecting with ETs or uh, multidimensional beings or whatever it is. Um, I think we need to identify that they're going to be a subset of folks who are going to be great with the system and maybe exist happier and better and higher wellness within the system. But I also think um, we certainly need to push people and educate people towards there's an alternative. And maybe you don't necessarily need to be within the system of control. And here's how to maybe remove yourself from it. And oh, by the way, if you really want to uh, get into the cool stuff, then really, you know, get into you're expanding your consciousness and reaching out into non-local awareness and figuring out what's out there because there's an infinity of amazing exploration you can do there. So that's kind of the place that I'm, I'm focusing my effort. I definitely resonate with that, Sean. Absolutely. I, as with enlightenment or anything else, I delight in uncertainty. I really enjoy the fact that I don't know how this is all going to play out, but watching the ripples, removing myself from the egotistical fears of they and them and what they might be able to do and seeing what you were saying earlier about how important our relationships with one another are, that if they or any power were to have control over how we relate with one another, which is unfortunately what's kind of happened in terms of, of taking it, pushing us farther apart, making us more focused on our own little monarchy or our own little kingdom and dividing us from everybody else, um, then all of a sudden, when anything goes wrong, we look to them. Or when anything goes right, we're like, oh, it's their fault. It's because of them. And, and so it's always this idea that they are, are all knowing and have all of this power. And I've said to Andrew numerous times that I honestly don't think the government is that adept. I think a lot of what's happening is kind of a combination of greed and stupidity, just yeah. exacerbated over time, right? But our perspective is that they've got it going on. They know exactly what we're doing. And I think they just rely on that to a very large degree. But as we move forward, as you are out there doing your thing and as you are out there spreading your own insights and growing for your own purpose and, and causing ripples as a result of that, and, and the same with here on this podcast, 
what we're really doing is we're encouraging empathy and responsibility. And what's nice about empathy and responsibility is it repairs the relationships, but it also disempowers the government because there's nothing wrong with having government. As you said, some people are gonna do really well within a government that can take care of them until they get to a point where they can get out on their own and, and support themselves, kind of like children. There's not really much of a difference in terms of, of the parent-child relationship versus the government and, and a, an initial citizen. It's just that government is so big that we don't have any say, that it's not small local governments that are personal that have anything to do with our lives. They're all politicians we've never met, we'll never meet with reasons that we're never gonna hear or know about. and so. As we stop giving a shit about them and we work on our relationships, that government's going to fail. Our puddle is going to get bigger, as you said at the beginning of this episode. So even when they do throw out that, that crisis and that catastrophe, we'll see that we're the people around us. We'll come together rather than leaning on them because we'll have that relationship. We'll have that connection with the people who are us. But it's all just changing our mentality to get there. And it all starts with you and me and Andrew and people who are having this discussion. So. On that note, I just wanted to dial this up so everybody recognizes that we're not despairing about the future by any means. It may look dark, but things often do when you don't see how they're going to play out. So just be patient, embrace the uncertainty, and it will all play out over, over time or the, or the perception of time. It's all just unity unfolding. Sean, I'm so glad that we had you onto the podcast. I really hope that you'll come back and visit us in season four. Perhaps we'll even be able to do a live event with you sometime. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we have a retreat coming up in November. I know that's not a lot of time, but if you can ever join us for a retreat, we're going to have another one next year and then uh, next November in Amsterdam as well. We'd love to have you. We'd love to just sit and shoot the breeze with you, pick your brain and just kind of go back and forth about all of our own personal experiences of being the very same awareness. Yeah, I got to tell you, thanks very much, guys. It's been a, it's been a pleasure sitting here talking to you. Um, uh, yeah, if you want to if you want to check out the uh, Mind Hacking Happiness webpage, you can you can go there, mindhackinghappiness.com. Um, I'm gonna invite a select few number, probably not as big as or as fun as you, you guys are doing on a retreat, but I'll I think I'm gonna start uh, in 2023 having a few people up to the uh, cabin to do that kind of thing, and I'd love to join you guys at your events as well. Uh, you know, I'll come back anytime. You guys want to want to shoot the shit and and choose some some uh, intellectual uh, analyses of this illusion because you know is the thing is if you know even even though it is an illusion we're here to play it out and we're here to experience it all and do it right so let's throw all in and dive into that head first and and go all uh, out to have as best uh, a time as we can and have fun with it and you're right I mean it comes down to at the point you can take control of your mind and reduce the negative reactivity of your mind that your physiology is handing you, then, you know, you can handle anything that comes along. So it's not like you have to worry about the nefarious stuff that may be going on or the bad things that may occur in the future. Just prepare yourself for it and do start with being able to control the reactions of your mind and then be able to think through how you need to prepare for whatever eventuality might put itself in front of you in a 3D space-time reality and have fun dealing with it. You know, even if it's going to be you know, even it's going to suck for a little while for, you know, I mean, that's part of the ride. I tell people, you know, even if you are a spiritual entity that knows everything and is connected with everything, you selected to come here because it's a break from knowing everything and being connected with everything to forget that you're connected to everything and deal with the roller coaster that this life brings you. So ride it out, have a great time with it. Cause you, when you die, you're going to remember that this whole thing was an illusion anyway. And you took this as a vacation. 
Absolutely. It's funny. Uh, we had a live stream last week and this just came off the top of my head. And it's a good way to wrap up the episode that we are so limitless that we dream of limitation and think it's reality. Oh, that's beautiful. Andrew, is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap up episode 17? No, just a big thank you to Sean. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Had a lot of fun, man. Looking forward to our next chat. Looking forward to seeing you out there doing your thing, uh, expressing reality as as reality. And yeah, can't wait for our next discussion, man. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We will see you next week. Bye, everyone.